Okay. When I was young, my brother used to take me, and he would take my arm, and he would bend it backwards. Zach, when my brother was bending my arms completely backwards, making my arm go behind my back, he would wait till I scream. Uncle. Uncle. Mercy. <laughs> mercy. 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 Okay, mercy. Uncle. So anyway, I was thinking tonight, I want to see if you have a revelation of mercy in your life. You know, I was friends with this guy back at Howard Payne, and he was a real straight-laced sort of guy. He would witness to everybody. I mean, he was as serious as he came, a real, real serious little face. And he was a country guy. So when he would drive to come see us, he would uh, not have time to do his laundry, so he would hang his clothes out his windows, and he would roll the windows up tight. And so all the way from Eastland to Brownwood, he'd let his clothes dry in the wind. They'd flip all the way. So there was nothing like being visited by this guy that looked like he had bat wings flapping out the window as he's coming to see you. And you're like, oh, my God. So John Hill was a special case in himself. If he could ever get my brother and I in the car with him, boy, he loved going out to the country with us. Now, in Brownwood, it's small enough that you know who's having an affair. And you know who with and who did it with who. And so anyway, we would know who these people were parked alongside the road. I mean, it'd go on for a certain series of times. John would get the most serious look on his face, like he really had compassion, get a real holy look. He'd drive up to where the cars were, roll down the window, and he'd go, can I help you? Anything wrong? And he'd try to knock on their window, anything wrong? Can I help you? I told him, I said, John, you're going to get us killed. I mean, Bill and I are laying down on the floorboard going, John Hill is crazy. Then when we'd leave, he would laugh and laugh. He goes, I stopped that affair. And I mean, he would just go affair busting out on our roads. Well, John Hill got a speeding ticket one day. That's kind of hard for me to understand. I can't, I can't, because he never really went anywhere fast. I mean, he was a country boy. And so it came time, and he was telling me this story. He goes, Angie, you'll never believe what happened to me. He said, I went before the judge. He said he was one of these strict, no-nonsense, very somber judge. The guy looked at him and said, you've been charged with speeding. He looked at him, and he said, how do you plead? Do you plead guilty or not guilty? John Hale's little angel face looked up at him, and he says, Judge, sir, he said, I plead neither, Your Honor. He said, I plead for mercy. And when he did, the judge just looked at him, and then he burst out laughing. <laughs> and because of his answer, it was so unexpected, that guy let John completely off the hook. And John did it from the bottom of his heart. He goes, sir, I plead neither not guilty nor non-guilty. I plead for your mercy. Have you ever thought about maybe that's how we should do with God? Is that we plead for mercy. John was one of those type guys that he could get away with anything because of how his heart was with mercy. Now I want you to look up Psalm 145 verse 9. It says, mercy covers all of God's works. Isn't that good theology to think for a minute? that everything God does is tainted with mercy. Everything that God does is completely mercy. You know, if it doesn't have mercy on it, it's not from God. I think that's pretty good theology. Because some people get a little mixed up on where things are coming from, but it tells you in your Bible that everything that God does has mercy on it. It's filled with mercy. Now I want you to look up Psalm 136, 1 through 26. <laughs> Psalm 136. 
Now, honestly, this one works best in a King James Version. Any of you have the old King James? Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, with the old Shakespearean type King James. The other versions, they just don't work on this one. This one says, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, I want you to tell me how many times in this one passage does it say, for his mercy endureth forever. How many times? Come on, you Bible scholars. Go in. I'm impressed with your genius. Looking up there on those 26 verses. Look at this thing. For his mercy endureth forever. What this that good liturgy? You're in church and the preacher says one thing and then you say, for his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> and you just repeat it after him. I'm thankful that God is full of mercy. And I'm thankful that it never stops. That that kind of mercy that he has endures. I'm glad he puts up with me, that he has enduring type mercy. Look at this all the way down. Look at verse 16. He led his people from the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. 18. He slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. He remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endureth forever. He redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. How about if you took your life and you wrote a poem about yourself. And after every point you said about yourself, you would say, For his mercy endureth forever. Think about the poetry of your life. He delivered me out of, for his mercy endureth forever. He brought me to class. Uh, <laughs> class. <laughs> Somebody, Jessica, you need to get that one. He brought me to class, for his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> Hey, Brad Johnson, that's for you. Okay, he saved me from his enemies. <laughs> oh, my enemies. He broke me up with Jezebel, for his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> he brought me to Howard Payne, for his mercy endureth forever. He brought me to this Bible study, <laughs> for his mercy endureth forever. You know, that's one thing we can say about him. His mercy endureth forever. You know, when you look up that word mercy, how's the best way to translate it? Actually, if you grab that word, it means tender mercies. And that's such a great picture of God, that it's tender mercies that God has upon your life. Do you have a revelation of mercy? Do you have a revelation of mercy? Have you ever decided to measure the mercy on your life? I don't know if you're like me, but some people seem to have great amounts of mercy on their life. And some people don't seem to have any amounts of mercy. And I can't really even figure out why, because you're trying to understand it. I want you to think about your life and ask yourself, can you really write a poem about your life and say, His mercy endureth forever over me. That I really have a supernatural amount of mercy. You know, I need all the mercy I can get. I mean, the way that I've lived my life, I'm like, I am so thankful that God has had mercy upon me. You know, unexpected reasons that where mercy happens, undeserved. You know, why does God seem to have mercy on some and then seemingly not have mercy on others? Can you answer that question in the Bible? I mean, I've always been really curious about this. This has been something I have searched and searched. You know why? Because I want God to have the very most mercy he could possibly have on my life. I mean, I want every bit of mercy outpouring that I, I want to live under an unzipped cloud where mercy is continually falling down on me. I need all the mercy that I can get. 
What qualifies you for merciful or unique outpourings? You probably need them too. You know, I, I was in India. I was up on a crusade stage and I was about to speak. And the interpreter was the pastor of about 18 churches over there. And so, uh, <laughs> his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> this guy, he's about to interpret. He leans over to me and he said, do you remember when you spoke on mercy last year? I said, yes. He said, literally, you saved me from leaving the ministry. He said, this was the most important lesson I've ever heard. So tonight, I want you to get a revelation of mercy in your life. This is one of the biggest secrets I found in prayer that has changed, absolutely changed so many things in the way I do things in life. Okay, I want you to look up Romans 9, 15 through 16. I hear all those pages turning in your Bible. Yeah, Romans 9, 15 through 16. It looks like she ran out just to break up with him. Okay, mercy does not depend on the man who runs or the man who wills. But God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Now, aren't you glad in times that God's mercy does not depend on the man? <laughs> I'm glad that God's mercy is bigger than my will, bigger than my choices, bigger than my deeds. I'm glad that God has the capability of overriding me at times in my life, that God absolutely has mercy on me, that God is bigger than man. You know, with God, a lot of times I'll tell him, I'll say, God, I want you to have mercy on me any time that you will. You know, God, there may be some times that I won't even know ahead of time to pray. There may be some times I won't even think of it. Okay, God, right now I'm praying for that moment now. What's going to be happening in the future where I'm going to need mercy, right now I'm giving you permission and saying, Sir, have all the mercy you can possibly have on my life. I'm so glad that God has mercy on me, even when my will has even been wrong. You know, you look at life and you see random acts of mercy. You know, the first thing you've got to write down is mercy doesn't just happen to good people. Now, where does that come from? <laughs> well, right here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I get mercy. Okay, Matthew 5, 44 is some of the best theology you can find. I mean, Jesus tells you. Now, if anyone knows how mercy falls down out of heaven, Jesus should know. And he says, I send my mercy on the just and the righteous in the Matthew 5:44. He sends his mercy. He sends his rain. He sends the goodness, the blessing. Now, wouldn't it be hysterically funny if rain just went right up to your fence line and stopped? <laughs> oh, that's the banker's lawn. There's no rain on that. We know no bankers are making it to heaven. Or you just see mercy or rain or it just stops at the fence line. What does God say to us? He says that he absolutely gives mercy to the righteous and to the unrighteous. You know, think about this for a minute. Mercy is undiscriminating. Think about this. Think of the chaos in the world. Can you imagine this world if it had no mercy on it? What this world would be like if God didn't give mercy to those who don't even know Him? Man, this world would be a disaster yeah. mess. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people think, man, I can't believe all that goes wrong. You know what I have to say back to them? I can't believe all that goes right. Have you ever wondered why in a big city like Dallas, sometimes the electricity doesn't just go off over half the city? 
I mean, to me, every night the lights come on, I think it's a miracle. If you look at the unbelievable that we've had, what, no more attacks since 911, no major attacks on our soil, you look at God's mercy and he just blankets us with mercy. So you see the outpouring that he pours it out on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, you have mercy before salvation and after salvation. Some of you, I think, the reason you're here now is because there was mercy upon your life. You know, I was talking to one person, they were confessing to me. They said, well, right before I got saved, I almost got this really bad job. And they told me what it was, and I don't want to tell you or would identify them. And the next thing that they told me, they said, I tried really hard to get pregnant out of wedlock. And I said, why? (laughs) Why would you do that? They said, oh, I wanted security in life. I want something to love me back. And then they said, I almost got married the summer right before I got saved. You know, sometimes I'm like, I am so happy that God had mercy upon you before salvation to bring you to this spot right now. That God has mercy. I want you to think for a minute of times in your life where God literally prevented something bad from happening to you that you absolutely would have wrecked the course of your life. Can you think of that? Something that absolutely would change the course. I was thinking of this guy named Floyd Bowers. And I was a little girl, I was in church, and I was listening to him tell his testimony. And he said he was in a line, and he was the one in charge of explosives. So he was lengthening the tunnel, and he was about to go down on the charger. And he said just as he was about to go down, somebody tapped him on his shoulder. So he turned around to speak to him, and nobody was there. And he said it really spooked him because it's cold, dark shaft. So he went to go down on his charger again. And a second time, his shoulder was tapped. That time, it really spooked him bad. So he took his charger equipment, he moved it 25 yards down the mine shaft, he reset it up, and he went kaboom when he did exactly where he had been standing. The entire roof of the cave caved down. All the, I mean, they had to dig that place out forever. Now think about Floyd Bowers. You know, and he wasn't saved. He is now. He would have died an unsaved man. But yet I can tell you, I know a lot of unsaved men. We know that have died unsaved. (laughs) Don't you want to say with me now, God, anytime you want to have mercy upon my life. I can't explain those certain taps on the shoulder. I can't explain what brings mercy into my life. But God, rain all the mercy down that you can. Bring it down on my life. You know, can't find my verse here. Look up. Isaiah 43.4, strange piece of theology. In Isaiah 43.4, the prophet Isaiah says that others have been given in exchange for your life. Have you ever seen that verse walked out? You know, when that happens to you, you're thinking, what does God want from me? I mean, does that not beg the question? (laughs) God has got me out of this. What is he demanding out of my life? I was just spared another. (laughs) Think of all those times in your life where God absolutely grabbed you by the hand and he walked you out of something. It's like he grabbed a hold of you and he pulled you out of a bad situation. Can uh, You know, I'll think about Donna, the one I smuggle Bibles with. She calls me up and she goes, Angie, are you in jail? 
this was about a year ago. I go, Donna, what do you mean you're in jail? She goes, I read it on the front page of the paper. Six people are in jail for having been in Sid Rich. The police caught him and they're in jail. And I'm like, Donna, I wouldn't be on the phone if I was in jail. I was like, what do you think? I'm giving nightly tours over there? <laughs> you think of all these people giving in exchange for your life. You know, you think of the time that you broke into Mims Auditorium with the security system. And you put a 40-foot sign up there to commemorate your friend's birthday. Or the time that you break into the register's office at Howard Payne. <laughs> Cheryl Mangrove was like, Angie, you're going to be a federal offense for this. I go, you've got to catch me. So I go down and I go into their records. I pulled out my grandfather crows, my grandmother crows. I start making copies. My genealogy teacher loved me. She was like, this is A material. She goes, I'm so proud of you. I go, what else do you want? Get your mothers, get your aunts, get your uncles. <laughs> so I was constantly breaking into the registrar's office. They go, Angie, that's a felony penalty. I said, I know, I'm so ashamed of myself. But I go, you got to catch me. <laughs> you just see God and you think, what does he want out of my life? You get out of these things. Did you know that the mercy of God will keep you from getting caught? And you don't deserve it. It's the mercy of God. You've got to ask yourself. I know this is good theology right here. I knew you would love this. It's the mercy of God. It's practice for um, smuggling. Okay. The mercy of God keeps you from getting caught. Don't ever forget it. When everyone else around you is in jail, when your friends are calling you to see if you're there, remember the mercy of God will grab you by the hand and get you out of the situation. But remember, there are three levels of mercy. <laughs> the mercy of God will always get you caught. <laughs> what am I saying? Okay, think about this for a minute. When you're doing something bad, have you ever noticed that God comes to you privately? And he speaks to your heart. He gives you a verse. And you're convicted. And you know, uh-uh, I shouldn't do this anymore. And then if you don't listen to that little private voice and... and you just ignore what the Holy Spirit's convicting you of in your prayer time, voice number two comes to you. It's all your friends. When all your friends are telling you the same thing, they keep coming to you. Do this, change this, do that. And you go, no, I'm not going to listen. Stage three of mercy. What happens on stage three? It's the public exposure. <laughs> you go from private <laughs> to person to person to public exposure. That's the one where God talks about it's shouted from the rooftop. That everybody knows your dark deeds. Everybody knows your sin. But it's always three levels of mercy where God tells you. Now you're the one who's always saying, I'm always the one getting caught. Did you know that reprimands are mercy? If you really see that when God loves you, he reproves you. If you understand that discipline is because you're loved, if you want a bad word in the Bible, look at that in the King James in Hebrews 12. If you're not loved, you are a, and he says a cuss word right there in the King James. <laughs> but you can turn it around and you can say, but a loved person is someone who receives correction, receives discipline. Now think about this. There's two sides to mercy. He'll keep you from ever getting caught. And then he'll always get you caught. You know, we used to teach this high school youth group. 
and this little high school kid comes as we can understand this from high school kids she comes running up to us and she goes I can't believe it I've been kicked out of school it's my senior year I go what happened I got suspended for being drunk well Forget the fact that she's head of youth for Christ in the high school. <laughs> and she comes up to us and she, she is like perplexed by how this could happen to her. They had planned this day of let's all get drunk together and go to Brownwood High School and what could they do? Well, she found out nobody else got busted but our kid in our high school group. Look at the grin. Remember this story, yeah. And she goes, all my friends were doing it. You know, of course she didn't come to me and ask the question, tell me why I was getting drunk. She was asking the question, why did I get caught? We never ask, you know, tell ourselves why we did it. We're just always asking ourselves why we get caught. Well, that's the place that she was. And so anyway, she goes, every single person got away with it but me. You know what you want to say to her? God holds us to a higher authority. Thank you. Mercy always always does this for you you'll always be the only one caught <laughs> mercy will never let you be like everyone else that would mean there was no god in heaven and you had no father you would be fatherless an orphan if you didn't get caught if you could be like everyone else did you know what that's the best side on your life if you come to me saying everybody else gets away with this i never get away with it Amen. i'm oh, saying yeah public exposure God's having mercy and that's what he does he publicly it's it's a form of mercy that he has on our life you know I was thinking of my brother he was in high school he was dating a girl in college and it's the only time my dad didn't feel a piece about that little uh, scenario so he went and confronted my brother and you know my brother did what he should he broke cried the whole nine yards my dad said no more of this son yes sir yes sir well, two days later, they see his car hidden behind Vita. <laughs> a little phone call's made. So anyway, my brother goes, Dad, how did you know that? And so anyway, Dad told him. He said someone made a call. And Bill goes, I can't ever get away with anything. Have you ever noticed? Mercy keeps you accountable. <laughs> Everyone else can hide their little cars, but you're going to get busted. Mercy has that over your life. I was thinking about my story. I was 12 years of age, the tender age of 12. I was going to First Baptist Church. But one night we slipped over to a Sunday night service over at his church. <laughs> New Beginnings is where it is. <laughs> is he listening back there? Okay, so we slipped into New Beginnings. And so I'm sitting on the row. I, I'm a deacon's kid at this point in my life. So we're on the back row, and you know how kids are in those churches there. Yeah, doing yeah. They're sitting in the back rows doing nothing. So this this girl that I'm sitting with, I'm sitting with the preacher's daughter. So you know she's going to be better than the rest. Well, she starts explaining something to me that I didn't know, and she told me she says there's this guy that's at our church tonight, and he's one of those kind of guys. Uh, they know everything about you, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. And she said they call them prophets in the Old Testament, and I'm like, we don't have those. <laughs> And she goes, look, look, you need to get under the pew with me. And I was like, are you kidding? And so before I could even think, I'm 12, she's about 15. I mean, she knew everything. And so she said, yeah, yeah, get under the pew with me. She said, don't take a chance on a guy like that. It's too dangerous. So she pulls me down, and I get under the pew. 
And so we're back there, and the church is going on. It's full of adults. Everybody, you know, you can't even see us back on the back row. So he's filled up. Well, no sooner am I comfortable under that pew. Now, the difference was I was under that pew, and I was like, I was repenting from my little wicked soul at age 12 and all the sinning I'd done. I mean, I was telling God I was sorry for everything. And so I thought, well, at least while I'm under here, I'm repenting. I look at her, and she's smiling. Because she'd been getting out that pew quite often. I mean, this was her favorite little thing that she did. So I'm down there repenting. She's over there smiling. And we're looking at each other underneath that thing. That guy, no kidding. I'm underneath that thing. We've got all these people's bodies in front of us. And he starts saying, well, the person in the back wearing such and such clothes come forward. You hated to look. And that's what you're wearing. And he keeps calling. He goes, and he starts making understanding of where I am in the back and I need to come up there she looks at me like I feel so sorry for you and I'm like you're kidding he goes well the girl in the back you come I'm like oh my goodness so I start coming up there well I'm telling you my knees were shaking so hard I've never had that experience where literally I couldn't get my knees to quit shaking well I get up there and my knees are wobbling like that and I'm holding on to it my tender little 12 looks up at him. He goes, honey, that's the anointing all over you. I go, that's not the anointing. That's fear. <laughs> I'm scared of this guy. Sure enough, he does that thing and those kind of eyes, and they look right into your soul. He tells me, he goes, you've been having anger fits with your parents, throwing fits of anger. And he said, honey, the Holy Spirit says you need to stop that in your life. I was humiliated. Oh, my goodness. I get back to my little hole back there. I sit down. You know what the unusual thing is? It's the mercy of God that'll pull you out from underneath the pew. Yeah. You know where she is? She's had three divorces. This preacher's kid. She's been in a dry-out center in Dallas. And she runs a business that, um, it's exclusive for men. <laughs> yeah, in Dallas. So I thought, isn't it amazing? That the mercy of God will pull you out from beneath the pew. Mm -hmm. Think of those times in your life. You know, I think sometimes people call mercy everything in the world, but they never realize that the same mercy, remember what we said, that God's tender mercies is over all of his works. That the Lord's tender mercies, that mercy pulls you. It says that I'm glad that mercy covers every single thing that he does. In Psalm 145, verse 9 that we looked at, it says, Mercy covers all of his works, and the Lord is good to us all. So look at this. Mercy is the way he spares, and mercy is the way that he exposes. Both of them are mercy. It's over all of his works. When you squeeze God's axe and you see what's inside of God, it always comes out mercy. God's mercy is over everything we do. You know, I was thinking about it. I'm so glad that he called me out and made me deal with my temper. That's what gave me this sweet disposition to this day. <laughs> Think of how easy that's made life for you. God delivered me at such a young, tender age. Thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> and sometimes if I retreated a little bit back into it, my parents would say, remember the day that God told you. You know, and your parents had that over you the rest of your life. Yes. You know, there's two sides to mercy, and I think there's a lot of humor to them both. I want you to look up Psalm 85, 10, and Micah 6, 8. Psalms 85, 10, and Micah 6, 8. 
Psalm 85.10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Secretly in a car behind the building. And righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Lips. <laughs> you know what? Mercy and truth have to forever be together. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do what is right, to love justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And you know what I would say with this? This is no accident. It says these two things have to be married to each other. Because I've seen people that are too much all mercy, and I mean, they're like a wet rag. And I've seen people that are too much all truth, and they're like rigid, and you'd never want to live with them. Isn't it funny how God says that you've got to wed mercy and truth together? I would ask you right now to evaluate yourself and say, in my own heart, what do I lean most towards? Am I over-merciful? Am I over-candid? Which way do I lean the most? You know, mercy without truth is deceptive. But truth without mercy is unbearable. And I think it's important that you have mercy and truth walk together in your life. Let those two marry. Mercy and truth always have to be together. Let them meet together. Let them have a courtship together. Let them get engaged. Marry those two. Always keep those two going in your life. Mercy and truth meeting together. Who are people's mercy? You know, Matthew 5, 7, if you're saying, man, I just don't have much mercy. Well, Matthew 5, 7 tells us the merciful will receive mercy. They will inherit mercy. So it's a standard. It's a principle. Giving out, sowing mercy causes you to reap mercy. It's the principle. You look at it initially in Luke 18, 13. Remember when Jesus said, the Pharisee said, I do everything right. I've done all this stuff. But then the publican, he beat his breast. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, thinking about on Judgment Day, of where you throw yourself at the mercy of God. Now, I don't know what your posture is going to be, but I'm going to be flat on my face going, God, have mercy upon me. This is a time for mercy. God, do everything that you do with mercy. I want mercy over my life. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Let's just rule that out right now. I'm not one of these people that's going to shake my fist in God's face and say, I didn't deserve that. I'm thankful that I don't get what I deserve. It's initial outpouring of mercy. Proverbs 12, 10. Mercies are kind to the great and the small. It says a merciful man is kind to his what? Proverbs 12, 10. Even to his what? Animals. Animals. But the mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now I know all you guys are fixing to manifest right now, thinking about what y'all did to cats growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Mercies are kind. Y'all, you know what? If you really look at this verse, what it's telling us, when you have the chance to dominate something weak, how do you handle weakness? See, this is a verse that's saying that a, a truly merciful man will be kind even to animals, something he could totally be cruel to. I remember we, when I was young, I'd go bird hunting with a, a pastor friend. I was, I was young, and there's nothing I like better than seeing a well-trained dog. And he had one of those bird dogs that literally, that guy could say one thing, and that bird dog would jump in the water. He'd grab that bird, and he was real tender with it in his mouth, and he'd carry the bird back to him. 
and this pastor would hunt. As I'd go out hunting with him, there was always a little something funny in this pastor. I always wonder about it. I watched him take that bird dog, most obedient dog. I would, I would just sit there and admire it. There's nothing finer than a well-trained animal. He took that bird dog, he took it to the ground, and he started taking its ears and trying to twist them off. He started yelling at that dog and beating it. I mean, he was using everything but Christian cups where it said that dog. I was horrified watching that scene happen to that dog. And I was like, there's something wrong in this side of this man. He was raised without that. And it was like a generational curse of the thing passing down from one person to the other. And I was thinking, you know, God, it's interesting that he would say, be merciful to even the animal life. Be merciful to something that's even weaker. You know, if you ever study these serial killers, they profile this with the FBI. If someone's sadistic to animals, they're like, watch this person. And anyway, I think this is interesting that Solomon picks up on this at a young age. But what did we say? We said mercy needs to meet with truth. And truth needs to meet with mercy. If you're just mercy, you're going to be an animal rights activist. <laughs> and you're going to do away with humans. <laughs> yeah, beat them. And you're going to love animals more than you love people. But if you have mercy and truth married in your heart, you'll have mercy and you'll have truth. You'll be normal. You'll have a bird dog and you'll treat it well. You know, when I was watching that guy take those ears and twist it on that dog and that dog was just crying out. It reminded me of Thomas Edison. I read this in, in the fourth grade of where he was running after a train and he missed it. And the conductor reached down off the back of the train and he grabbed him by the, he was trying to pull him on. He grabbed him by the head and all he could get a hold of was the ears. And he lifted Thomas Edison onto the train by his ears. It made him deaf in his ear. And from being lifted, I thought, that poor dog, no wonder you had not been hearing you for years with what you're doing to those ears. Okay, Luke 10, <laughs> verse 33 through 37. Jesus makes the case. He said, how come religious people walk by people and do nothing? But he takes the guy that you can't stand the most in the neighborhood, and when he walks by, he stops to help the man that's in trouble. So Jesus makes a champion case for mercy. But in this case, I think if you'll make note, Remember the guy didn't stop his business trip and say, well, I'm going to just do the Lord's work. I'm not going to go on my business trip anymore. Remember, this is Jesus telling it. He didn't take the guy home with him and stop everything he's doing and take this homeless man in. Notice what he does here. He takes him and he puts him up and he leaves. He put boundaries on it. Have you ever noticed that if, if God gives you a principle and the devil can't get you one way, he gets you to twist it another? You'll have so many mercy cases in your house your wife will want to get rid of because you're like, man, I'll let this person move in. I'll let this person move in. I'll let this guy. And no matter what they do to you, you don't draw boundaries. Do you see in this one that Jesus complimented the guy for binding up the wounds, pouring the wine in, bandaging him up, paying for it, but he also put boundaries on it where he could keep his life going. That's one of my favorite stories to see that the Lord put boundaries in there. Okay, Mark 10, verse 46, we're entering into my best-kept secret for my prayer life. Do you have a Bible? Sometimes I think we read these. Oh, good, good. There it is. He has shown the old man what to do. <laughs> okay, Mark 10, verse 46. Sometimes I think we read these stories and we don't really realize 
how obnoxious these people were on the side of the road. You remember this story where this blind man's walking along? And he starts screaming out. And what does he scream out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> and they go, shut up, sit down. Come on, don't bother the teacher. And he keeps on screaming. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He says he cries out louder and louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> have you ever had one of those desperate kind of hit the, your knees on the floor and go slide clear into your prayer time you don't even have time to go home I mean before you even hit the bed you're like on your knees and you slide right up to the bed you're in prayer <laughs> man I see that who got the healing this guy is radical about getting it have you ever had that moment in life where you're crying out son of David have mercy upon me have mercy you can see the inner part of that guy y'all sometimes i think we don't cry out hard enough for mercy we don't cry out with everything in our soul and until this guy does it i don't think we really get the picture of how hard you had to shut him up and heal him to get him to sit down i mean you look at what jesus was doing y'all i think it works like a crying baby if a baby cries long enough the mom's gonna give it something to shut it up I don't see anything that goes against this theologically on persistent prayer that Jesus says, make it persistent. Mm -hmm. And so this guy pleased Jesus. I think that crying out for mercy is the best secret I have to my prayer life. Where we're not utilizing mercy in our prayer life. You know, abandonment. I was sitting in a car in front of, in the first travel parking lot behind there. Do you know what I'm talking about? First travel services in their parking lot. Jolena is, we've just adopted her. She's in her car and she's driving her car to Fort Worth, backwards and forth to Bible school with tires that are bald. And so it says, I'm going to buy you new tires. Well, she's a girl who was working four jobs and you weren't going to buy her anything like that. She wasn't going to let us. So Jolene and I are into a fight about getting those new tires for her car. And I told her, I said, yeah, we're going to get them for you. We're going to do that. No, you're not. Well, you know, of course, I'm getting madder and madder. I mean, a little bit of resistance is polite. I'm just looking at her going, this is pure stubbornness. I mean, she was saying, no, no, no. My mom always tells me, I know Jolene belongs to you. She has all your faults. <laughs> so Jolene are there, and we're at that tense moment. We're fighting, we're fighting. So I take the car, her car. And I put it in reverse. I am so angry with her. I'm like, well, slam that car into reverse and go, pull out of the parking lot. And when I do, I don't notice that right behind that house is Dr. Newberry's home. Now the president. And in this big mansion that has the great pillars on top of it, no, everybody's not tucked in the house in their bed quite asleep. It's the middle of the day. And Dumas Photography is in front of it photographing the Brownwood drill team. So you've got all the girls on the front porch, line after line with Dumas photography. And of course, Dr. Newberry is out there with his wife shaking hands. As I, you know, nobody's supposed to be at the president's house. As I have slammed the car into reverse and I've slammed out, all of a sudden I hear kaboom crash. And I looked at my rearview mirror and I have just ran into a brand new shining red Corvette. Oh. oh. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, you know, there's the great thing about Corvettes. 
is how they crack to pieces because they're made out of fiberglass. <laughs> that thing, you heard the fiberglass just go, boom. I am thinking I could have bought you a new car for what I've just done behind me. Forget tires. I mean, it's that sick feeling like you've never had. I had just taught on the mercy of God. We had just done this lesson on blind Bartimaeus crying out for mercy. No kidding you, y'all. I've got Jolene as a witness. As loud as I could, I started screaming in that car, God, have mercy! Have mercy! And I was trying to calm myself down. Well, there's nothing anyone enjoys any more than seeing a good wreck. So all the girls leave their, you know, pose positions. <laughs> And come running. And I look in the mirror and you want to have a wreck in private. No, they're all running towards us. The girl is leading in front. It's my car. It's my car. And they're screaming and crying. And I'm like, I'm going to get jail time. I'm not even going to get off with just owing this for the rest of my life. I'm in that car screaming, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Dr. Newberry's running. I mean, I had the whole drill team. We all came around as I got out of the car. I'm still screaming, Mercy, Jolene, white as a sheep. We all converge on the scene at the exact same moment. I'm not kidding you. I look, and there's nothing. I am like, I heard the crack, Jolene, and I heard it explode. I mean, when we hit it, we hit it with such force. It popped the entire car, and I started screaming, Mercy, mercy, mercy. The girl goes down there, and she's like, I mean, they were screaming. She's looking at it because she doesn't dare want to let me off. She goes, where's your insurance? And I'm looking, and there's nothing. She goes, look, look, look. And she gets there, and she's looking in the sun, and I'm like, there's no way. I can, nobody can explain it. Everybody heard the explosion. We heard the car pop. She goes, look, you did it. Lit. You scratched it all the way down. <laughs> the red paint. She goes, you scratched it all the way down the red paint. I thought, if God's done this, he's bigger than a scratch mark. You know, scratch marks can cost $600 if you hit every door. And, I, and she showed me I had scratched it all the way down it. How did you do that long scratch? I don't know. And I thought, if God's done this, I took my finger and I licked it. And I rubbed the scratch. And the scratch went away like blue. She goes, get down. I go, here, come on. And so all the girls got in and we were all scrubbing the scratch off. She asked the adults, should I let her off? I'm sitting there saying, I have become a believer. In one word, prayer is called mercy. You know, when you talk about praying mercy, it's when your insurance is expired and you're driving down the road and you were praying and you were going a little faster than you thought you were and the police is passing you and suddenly he does a U-turn. It's that moment in time where you're screaming, mercy, mercy, God, have mercy upon me. When your parents are saying, I'm not paying for your insurance anymore. Mercy, mercy. How do I define this? Hebrews 4.16 says, Boldly approach the throne of grace in order to obtain mercy. <laughs> All I know is sometimes I think you can get down on your knees and you can cry out for mercy. And somehow God in his hands creates mercy over the whole situation. And so the same thing you can feel where the mercy lifts. Where... Man, you can't keep abusing that issue, you know. In your life, I think the best kept secret is mercy. Secret to prayer. Look in Psalm 23, verse 6, and we'll end with this. What does Psalm 23, verse 1 say? The Lord... What is it? 
The Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the last verse is, Surely. You need to look at your trail and see, am I leaving footprints of goodness and mercy? A trail inspector? You know, some people, they leave a trail of destruction or self-destruction, chaos, crisis living, broken hearts, broken relationships. If you're leaving that kind of a trail, you're not plugged into what this says, that surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me around. I'm telling you, this is the best thing you can think of, that absolutely mercy is going to follow me. Goodness and mercy. Examine your trail. If I called your grandma, what kind of trail does he leave? What's back there in the behind him? What kind of trail is back there? So in conclusion, your prayer to God is, God, you can have mercy upon me anytime you want to. You know, have mercy upon me. I don't even know how to ask, but please let me be your favorite person where you have mercy upon me. <laughs> let me be the one whom you show mercy, and let me have those mercy outpourings in my life. Amen? Lord, I pray over this group, and I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you will teach them things about the realms of mercy that Father, we've never even seen in here. Father, I pray that, that Lord, they'll, they'll come to you with the kind of heart that they'll have an open heart before you of saying, Sir, pour out mercy upon my life. Right now, we just cry out personally. If, if this is a group of people who have never one time asked you to have mercy upon them, and right now the cry in their heart is, God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. If we don't approach you with saying we want what we deserve, but sir, we gladly let go of what we deserve in order to get what we don't deserve. Yeah. And sir, we would be foolish to think anything other than to know that everything we have in this life, every goodness that you've given us, everything that you've bestowed upon us is acts of graciousness and of mercy. Father, I ask you to rain them down upon us. Father, I pray for situations that are right here in this room. If we won't have a lazy prayer life, but then we'll actually get down on our knees and we'll start crying out for mercy for those in our life around us. People whose lives are trying to go astray. People who are about to, to crash into the cliff. Father, I thank you that, that it seems like that when I find people there's mercy that was upon them, that I can find the secret that there was somebody praying for them. Father, let that be us, that we keep the people guarded in prayer when we sense something going wrong in their life, that we cry out and we say, have mercy upon them. Sir, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, and we pray that you will let mercy continually follow us wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.